<laughs> Let's see, first of all, some things that Jesus said about the subjects of giving. Now, some of you will know that one of the most famous messages that Jesus preached is what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. It occupies Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's the longest message that we have um, from Jesus' life on earth. And he began that message... Uh, actually, not, he didn't begin it with this, but um, about halfway through the message, he started talking about some things that should be in every Christian life. He started off with this phrase be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. I wonder what you think of when you see that phrase that I've put in red, practice your righteousness. Jesus said when you practice your righteousness or when you do good deeds, acts of righteousness, you know, maybe you think about being kind to people or... Um, maybe you know, helping somebody out who's in, in trouble. Well, actually, in that sermon, Jesus went on to speak about three different things under that heading. They were giving, praying, and fasting. And that's the order in which he spoke about them. The first one he said was, so when you give to the needy. And each of the things that he spoke about, giving, praying, fasting, he started off by saying, so when you do this. He assumed that these three things would be in the life of every Christian. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, I wonder if these three things are in your life. Giving, praying, fasting. Jesus didn't say, uh, he, did, he didn't say um, if you do this. He didn't even give a command saying do it. He just assumed this would be something that every Christian would do. And... Uh, Personally, I find it hard to imagine the Christian life. I've been a Christian for coming up to 50 years. I find it hard to imagine the Christian life without those things. To me, they're the fundamentals of the, the Christian faith. But, you know, if we talk about praying and fasting, they sound very spiritual. If we talk about giving, people, oh, that, that one doesn't sound so spiritual. And it's e interesting that Jesus mentioned that one first. And actually, Jesus had a huge amount to say about the topic of giving. If you read through the Gospels and read all the parables that Jesus spoke, stories he told, many, many of them are to do with money, our handling of money. So this is a very important thing. So he said, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. In secret, Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So I want to share this morning some of the spiritual truths that are behind giving. And uh, yeah, one of the problems um, when we talk about this topic is that Maybe before you became a Christian, you gave. And um, most people, probably you know, if a charity box is put in front of them or somebody's collecting money on the street, I say, yeah, here's a good cause, you would have put something in it unless you were really stingy. Probably most of you would have done that even before you became Christians. And the problem is, when we become Christians, 
that often we can think that, oh yes, we'll carry on giving just as we gave before. But in fact, for a Christian, giving is something very different to what non-Christians do because it is a spiritual activity. It's something that we do because we love Jesus. And the first thing that I want to say about it is it is more blessed to give than to receive. They aren't my words. They're words that um, the Apostle Paul quoted. We find them in the Acts of the Apostles, but they're actually the words of Jesus. These are the only words of Jesus that aren't recorded in the Gospels, but Paul refers to them in the book of Acts. He'd been at the church in Ephesus for some while, and he'd gathered everybody together to say goodbye, and at the end of his farewell speech, he said this, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. So the Apostle Paul was not one of your modern-day prosperity teachers, quite the opposite. He said, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, let's pause there, the Bible has quite a lot to say about working hard as well. It actually says in one place, if somebody doesn't work, then neither should they eat. Like the Bible expects us to be working for our living, and the Apostle Paul promoted that idea. He said, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What a wonderful statement that is. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If you get nothing else from this morning, I want you to remember that. And that's something that Jesus said, that giving is a blessing. As Christians, we don't give because it's a duty. We don't give because somebody puts the box or the collection bag in front of us. We give because it's a blessing to give. We don't give because it's our duty or because somebody's you know, urging us to do so, but because we really, really want to. And, uh, you know, if something's a blessing, it's good to do it more and more, isn't it? You know, if, if something's really good to do, you don't sort of think, oh, I'll just do that occasionally. I'll just do it a, a little bit. I like it so much. I don't want too much of a good thing. If something's a blessing, if something's great, then let's learn how to really excel in this and to give of our best in it. Okay, now, here's something else that the Apostle Paul said. God loves a cheerful giver. I don't know any Greek apart from this one, well, it may be a few other things. The Greek word, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word for cheerful is actually hilarious. That probably reminds you of an English word, hilarious. And uh, what does it mean? God loves a hilarious giver. What's a hilarious giver? Well, say Grant's a bit short of money, and I'm sort of, oh, yeah, I think I've... Should give him some money. Hmm. Five. Should I give him ten? Or no, no. Twenty. Well, I don't know. No, I need that. I might, might need that for some. I think I'll give him the five. Oh, maybe I can give him the ten. And a hilarious giver says, "Take the whole lot." Yeah. Oh, praise God! Yeah, he's blessed me so much, and yeah, everything that I give, he's able to give back to me again. I was was sharing, when I last was talking on this 
topic. I was saying that you know, I love to read um, biographies of Christian people, people that have influenced the church throughout the ages in significant ways. And you know, What I've noticed time and time again is that when you read the life stories of these people, people that have really made a difference, their lives are absolutely full of giving, and they just loved to give. Um, I shared once before about um, David Wilkerson, who some of you may have shared, um, heard of. Um, let me read to you a few things today about a guy called Smith Wigglesworth. He was a Yorkshire man who um, lived about a century ago, and his life was, was characterised by just an incredible joy in giving things. Somebody wrote this about him. When, it, when any church was seeking to have him for a series of meetings, one of the terms on which he insisted was that there should be one or more missionary collections. He would not ask anything for himself, but he could ask largely for those who were preaching the gospel in other countries. He said to us one time, I would like to have my picture taken at the time I'm writing a missionary check. That's the time when I look really happy. At the close of one of at the last meeting of one of his big campaigns, one for which he'd received a very liberal remuneration, he was introduced to two missionaries from China. They had need of a considerable sum to get them to their destination. Learning this, he endorsed the cheque he had just received, the salary for a month's hard work, and handed it to the two men. And he did this sort of thing on more than one occasion. On another occasion, he was preaching. He'd been preaching somewhere for some weeks and... Uh, God worked so powerfully that the people wanted him to stay there and to uh, become a leader in the, in the church. And they pleaded with him, please stay with us. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. A pleading, weeping group of men met him and urged him to reconsider his verdict. But he'd made up his mind. He prayed with them and for them and left them saying, I have a peace no money can buy. I have heaven's smile and that's worth millions of dollars. I have the divine approval that I would not sacrifice for all the gold in the world. A minute under the anointing of God is worth more than worlds. The goodwill of God on my head and heart is priceless treasure. Should I sacrifice these for the gold of earth? Never, never. Such joy to be able to give away. I wonder if you've experienced that joy or whether your giving is just something you feel you ought to do or something that uh, you think, yeah, yeah, I'm a, uh, I see in the Bible that uh, I ought to be giving. It's a blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I might share another story about somebody else later on. We'll see how time goes. Let's move on to our second um, truth. So it's more blessed to give than to receive. Secondly, the main purpose of earning money is to give it away. Does that surprise you? What would you think is the main purpose of earning money? Maybe to look after your family. That's a very important thing to do. Again, the Bible puts an emphasis on that. Um, you might think it's uh, you know, so I can enjoy myself a bit, so I can put some money towards my holiday. All these different reasons people might give as reasons for earning money. You know, the Bible tends to look at things in different ways. In Ephesians, we read, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. That's when talking to people who've become Christians from a life of crime, and he says, you've got to give that up. 
You must still no longer, but you must work. There it is again. Doing something useful with their own hands. That they may have something to share with those in need. So Paul says, that's why you need to work. So you've got money to give away to others that are in need. And then elsewhere he said this. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He's saying, yeah, God will, will bless you. God may give you money. You may even become rich. Well, what's the purpose of it? So you can have a whole fleet of Rolls Royces? No, it's so that you can give to those who are in need. You see, there are occasions when God tells particular people to give away everything that they have. That's not the norm. Like God has no problems with people having money, and there have been many servants of God over the years who have actually been very rich people. Um, but when their lives have truly been submitted to God, they've just been like a channel that the money keeps flowing through them. One such person you might have seen on building sites, John Lang Construction Company, one of the biggest construction companies in the world, a huge multi-million outfit. Um, John Lang, who died in the 1970s, who founded that, was a Christian, a very, very dedicated Christian. And millions of pounds passed through his hands. When he died, his whole estate was valued at 370 pounds. Obviously, it's worth a bit more now. That was in the 1970s. But a man who'd handled millions, he had 370 left. Why? Because he'd blown it all on booze and women? No, because he'd given it away to Christian missions all around the world. As fast as the money came in, he was giving it out. He was very, very strict with himself that if he bought something, uh, something that he considered a luxury for himself, for his home, then he wouldn't spend anything else on himself that year in that way, and he'd just give away the rest of the money. You've seen the big lorries, Eddie Stobart. Eddie Stobart was a Christian as well. It's now his son that runs the business, but Eddie Stobart that started it. Again, a very, very wealthy man, but many of the Christian bookshops up and down this land have actually been financed by Eddie Stobart. So God can use you know, rich people if they're willing to use their money for him. But here's good news. If you're thinking, well, I'm not a rich person, I don't have a lot of money to give away. In fact, I've got nothing to give away. Yeah, I've only got tuppence in my pocket. Well, the third truth is that even the poor can excel at giving. And there's a wonderful story in the Gospels. Jesus was watching the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins Somewhere I've got a replica of one of them here. It was a Roman coin called the denarius. You can look at it afterwards if you want to. And she put two of those in. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this poor woman has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live in. And you know, we don't know what happened to her. 
that I can be absolutely sure she was blessed. I can be absolutely sure that God met her needs and Jesus, and she knew that blessing of giving that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's, here's an amazing verse, or a few verses. Paul writes, writing about the church in Macedonia, which was a poor church, and he says this, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now where it says there they pleaded with us, the word is actually they begged us. Right, so these people weren't begging to get money, they were begging for the opportunity to give money. Have you ever come across people begging that way round, that you know, they're really so desperate to give you money? It's not very often you find that. I've come across it. I've been very privileged to travel in a lot of poor countries. You know, I've found, without exception, the poor people are the most generous. Even amongst non-Christians, that's true, but particularly amongst Christians, where you find poor Christians, they are the most generous. And when my wife and I have visited poor countries, we found that people there have just given all they've got, and they will go and borrow from their neighbours and everything because they want to give hospitality to um, visitors from overseas that have come. And the joy that's overflowing from these people. Some of you have heard this story before, but I remember one particular time I was with a group of um, 24 Christians in Cuba. Some of you may have been to Cuba on holiday, You've maybe stayed at Veradero, that's the main holiday resort, or Havana, and there's some very nice luxury hotels. If you go just a few miles down the road, you'll find people living in absolute poverty. And well, I've been to Cuba five times during the 1990s, and uh, we used to go with Christians, hire a car, and sort of drive all over the island, meeting some of these Christians who are very, very poor, and uh, often as well they didn't have copies of this book, and they were actually more anxious to get this book than to get any money or food or anything, but we tried to give them both. And uh, on one particular time I was there with this group of 24, and we went to a, a church where they had one hour's notice that 24 Christians were arriving round about lunchtime. And when we arrived, all of us were taken into homes and given a meal. We took groups of two or three in the homes of different church members. And I know from experience that those people that were feeding us had got virtually nothing. As I say, they would have perhaps borrowed from others. They certainly would have gone without themselves. And it is, it's the culture in a lot of countries that when you have a guest, you don't actually eat with them, so they just sort of like served us, and you, know, you might assume they were going to eat afterwards. Um, I think not, because they'd given to us everything that they had. And, but the thing was, we were told in that church, people were almost fighting, don't take that literally, but almost fighting. When they heard all these Christians were coming, they said, oh, I want to have them to lunch. Oh, no, I want to have them to lunch. Well, you have, you have two and I'll have two. Oh, but I want them as well. And all these people were so pleading, begging 
for the opportunity of giving. I wonder if I bought 24 Cubans in here this morning and you've got one hour's notice, are you going to give lunch to them all? I think perhaps you would. Oh, I can see somebody shaking, not shaking their head there. <laughs> well, you don't have to give it to all 24. You could just take one of them. <laughs> but it's a privilege to give. Yeah, I've particularly, you've changed your mind, thank God. Right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a privilege. And I've you know, particularly known on many occasions, you know, it's such a joy. If ever you get the opportunity, if there are people you know, visiting the church or you know, from overseas, if you can get them into your, your home and uh, you know, give a meal to them or you know, look around the church and maybe there's people here you could give a meal to, you will be so blessed in doing that. It is you know, such a blessing to give. So, where are we up to? So it's more blessed to give than to receive. The main purpose of earning money is to give it away, but even the poor can excel at giving. Oh, that was it, sorry, right. <laughs> um, they, were, they were my three points that I was going to say today, but I haven't finished. Don't get up and walk away. Um, what I want to talk about now is this thing that a giving church really is a blessed church. You know, as individuals... If we give, we will be blessed. If as a church we give, we will blessed. We will be blessed. Yeah, that's it happens in very practical ways. You know, some of you know that uh, yeah, the church has been going through a um, bit of a sticky financial patch recently. In fact, actually, as long as I've been in in this church, I think we've always been going through a sticky financial patch. That's because we give money away. Yeah, we, we don't sort of pile it up in the bank account when it comes, but I believe that you know, at least some here, and thank God, you know, the leadership here have learned that principle, that it's as we give that God meets our needs. So although you know, we often felt we haven't got enough money to pay the bills here, and yet we haven't stopped sending £675 every month to um, the school in Pakistan and the pastors there that we support, and... Uh, does God meet our needs? Yes, he does. And he will continue to meet our needs. Let's read about how this worked in the early church. In the book of Acts, we read about the church that there was after Jesus um, went back to heaven. And in this early church, it said, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no, no needy persons among them. From for from time to time, those who owned houses or lands sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Some people get the idea from this that the early Christians lived in some sort of commune and they've been Christians since. They've said, oh, let's do the same thing. Um, if you read it carefully and if you read the rest of the New Testament, that wasn't the case. You notice it says, those who owned land or houses, plural. Right? So it wasn't that everybody sold their house and they all lived together, but people that had two houses, they thought, I can sell one of those houses and I can give the money to the church. And uh, it says... But the key thing is at the beginning, it says no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. 
So they still possessed things, right? They possessed their own home, they possessed their own clothes, they possessed their own donkey, whatever it was, but they didn't actually regard it as their own. They thought, um, if Alfie needs that donkey to get to work today, then yeah, he, he can have it, um, because it's just as much his as it is mine. Or if uh, uh, somebody else needs some food because somebody's looking a bit thin, I can't see anybody looking thin, but uh, <laughs> um, I'm the thinnest one here. Uh, so, so somebody needs a bit of food, well, they can, they can have some of mine. <laughs> Praise God. I'd love to be in a church like that. We're not there yet. I don't think I've been in a number of churches in the years I've been a Christian. I've been to some that have got closer to that, I think, than, than we are here. Um, but even those ones weren't, weren't anywhere near that. Yeah, where nobody actually regarded anything as being their own. It was all there for the use of others. Why? Because they regarded everything that they had as belonging to the Lord. You know, if you're here, you're not, if you're not a Christian today and uh, you're listening to this, um, let me say this, in a way, this won't make any sense until you've first given yourself to Jesus Christ. You know, God isn't after your money. Actually, I heard about a, preach, a preacher I actually knew years ago um, was in a, a service where it's a harvest festival and people were bringing fruit and oranges and you know, laying them on the altar at the front and everything. And this guy got so sort of incensed by this, he leapt up and said, God doesn't want your bananas, he wants you. Um, and I'd like to say that again today. <laughs> God doesn't want your money primarily, he wants you. But in giving you, that means it, it's giving every part of you. And actually, you know, if he hasn't got your money, if he hasn't got your wallet, then has he really got you? But... Yeah, first and foremost, we've got to give ourselves to Christ by giving our lives to Christ, and then these things should follow. Okay, let's look at another passage. Giving is the Bible definition of grace. Um, I don't know if you noticed in the readings that I did earlier, the word grace came up several times, and again and again in the Bible, you'll find the word grace is linked with giving. Not just financial giving, but it often is linked with financial giving. Here's a passage. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. It's what I read just now. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So your Christians love to say, oh, you know, the, the grace of God is so wonderful. Um, where's my wallet? So, so, let's keep it nice and tight. You, you don't know about the grace of God unless you're giving your money away. That's an evidence of the grace of God that, as we see here, what about this passage? This is a very famous verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, you could sort of like spiritualize this verse, but you can put it in very real sort of practical terms. Imagine Jesus in heaven. As Christians, we believe that you know, Jesus has existed before the world began. In fact, it was Jesus that created this world. And there he was in heaven, worshipped by myriads of angels. All the heavens and the earth all belong to him. 
The Bible says the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. It's just a way of saying that the whole lot is his. He had all this vast wealth. And he came down to earth. And did he choose to be born in a palace? Did he choose to be born in a, a, a very, very rich family? No, he was born of parents that you can read this in Luke's Gospel, that they were so poor that when they came to give an offering at the temple, they gave the offering that was reserved for poor people, two, two doves rather than a lamb because they couldn't afford a lamb. He came to the poorest of families. As he grew up, he didn't have money. You know, one time when uh, he was uh, telling one of his parables about, and uh, somebody said, should we give money to Caesar? Is it right to pay taxes? Did he take a coin out of his pocket? No. He said, can somebody give me a coin? And he then held it up and told a parable out of that coin. He didn't have money. Of his Another time, he had to pay some tax, something called the temple tax. And uh, um, he says to Peter, take your fishing line down to the, the Sea of Galilee, th throw, throw it in, the first fish that you catch is going to have a coin in its mouth that will be enough to cover our two temple taxes. That would be a good way of paying your tax, wouldn't it? Anybody, anybody here uh, owe any tax? <laughs> we should pay our tax. We should support our families. We should do all these things that are required of us as good citizens, as good citizens and good members of our family. As Christians, we should do these things. They're very important. And as I said, we should be working to get money to do all of these things if we're able to work. So, but the hope is that after having done all those things that we will have money to bless those that don't have money of their own, those that are weak, those that can't pay their own taxes. Well, they probably wouldn't need to pay tax. If they, but you know what I mean. So you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Can you imagine the, you know, the vastness of the fortune that Jesus gave up in order to come to earth? And then he actually ends up hanging on a cross. Um, he did actually have quite a nice coat, and even that they, they gambled to, um, to, to see who would have the coat, and they tore up his, the rest of his clothing to divide among them. And he ended up with absolutely nothing. He dies, he goes into the grave, but three days later, he comes out again. Anyone want to say hallelujah? No. <laughs> and he founds the church that 2,000 years later is still going. What's the chances of that? From such a you know, poor guy, he didn't have a big publicity campaign or anything. The, the, the disciples that follow him had also left their businesses and didn't have anything. They didn't go out with loads and loads of money but they went out with these principles that it's more blessed to give than to receive and they found that everywhere that they gave, God just kept on meeting their needs and the gospel has even got as far as Golding's Church in Loughton because people all through the ages have given. Now, are we going to take the message further? Are we going to enable the work to carry on further? Well then we should be giving to the work of God and giving to the poor and needy. Wherever we see opportunity to give, we should do it. Let me, in closing, tell you about one other guy. And the first one I spoke about was a, a preacher. This one was a cricketer. A CT stud played cricket for England 
long time before I was born. And um, God called him to the mission field, and he actually went as a missionary um, to China. Um, but while he was seeking um, God's will for his life, and, um, and at one time he decided to study law, he says he wasn't at peace with this decision. He later realised it had been a mistake to consult with his friends more than with the Lord. How could I, he questioned, spend the best years of my life in working for myself and the honours and pleasures of this world while thousands and thousands of souls are perishing every day without having heard of Christ? And he was helped by reading a book called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. So I wonder what he found this secret of a happy life to be or what this book told him. He said, I found that the reason why I had not received a joyful Christian life was that I'd been keeping back from God what belonged to him. I found I'd been bought with the price and that I'd kept back myself from him and had not wholly yielded. When the Lord showed him this, he got down on his knees and gave himself up to God. And when he had committed to God, C.T. Studd realised that God was able to take and to keep what was committed to him. Now, before he left England for the mission field, um, he and this was when he was about 23, he knew that when he was 25, he was going to inherit a vast sum of money that his father had left in his will. Um, and he was exercised before the Lord about what to do with this money. And the words of Christ came to him, sell what, sell what you have, give to the poor, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth. And in the light of God's word, he determined to do that. It was not a hasty or impulsive decision because he was then 23, and it was another two years before he received the money. But when he received it, he wrote 13 cheques and gave away almost all of it. And the amount in today's money is something like 25 million US dollars. This wasn't an insignificant amount. He wrote 13 cheques and gave away almost all. And then he went to China and uh, then he married a woman called Priscilla, and he'd kept some money back. And just before the wedding, he presented his bride with the remaining money from his inheritance. And she said, Charlie, what did the Lord tell the rich young man to do? Sell all. Well, let's start clear with the Lord at our wedding. And she proceeded to give the rest of the money away for the Lord's work. Did God bless that couple? They certainly did. And Thousands came to faith and there's still missionary societies going today that have grown out of C.T. Studd's ministry. But he learnt that principle, that it's a blessing to give. Now I wonder if you would like to have more of that principle in your life. I certainly would. You know, I, I could sort of say, well, you know, I've been a Christian a, a while, you know, I've, I've learnt that. I need to learn a lot more about it. I've been challenged while preparing these messages recently and think, I, I want to discover more about that joy of you know, spontaneous giving, just sort of seeing a need and uh, moving in there to meet it. That's a blessing. Would you like to know that blessing in your life? Don't, don't say it lightly. And I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass you um, publicly, but uh, you know, if you would like to know more of that blessing in your life, I want you to sort of like say that to the Lord now as we pray. And I'm praying, going to pray for you that God will give you opportunities to work it out. Somebody was telling me recently that after I spoke about this once before, that in the week following, they just found they had so many opportunities to work it out in practice. Lord, I'm praying for your people here today.